You are listening to the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, Seaton and the French kid got in the van. That that van is unbelievable. Like there's a shower in there. There's a pull out that you can put a TV uh, on a stand and watch it outside. You can hang it on the side of the van. There's a sink in there. There's a bed in there. Yeah, Paulie. I've abs- literally lived in apartments that are smaller and much less nice. I mean, the tires, off-road tires. Oh, yeah. yeah. As uh, I was told, those tires are murdered. Wow. Those tires are murdered out. Now I know what that means. But, uh, yeah, we said goodbye to them. They, they had the Sprinter van in the man cave early this morning, and Seton and the French kid are on the road. We'll hear from them a little bit later on this morning. We'll go uh, settle on a poll question, play of the day, stat of the day, all that forthcoming. The big news, or there was big news on Saturday when it came out, ESPN. Uh, Jeff Darlington and Adam Schefter reported that Tom Brady was retiring. And then I was told, well, this didn't come from Tom Brady's side of the equation. This came from somebody probably in management. Do you have the exact tweet there, Pauline? Yes, this is 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday from Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington. Quote, Tom Brady is retiring from football after 22 extraordinary seasons. Multiple sources tell Jeff Darlington and me. More coming soon. Breaking news. Yeah, and Jeff Darlington is really tied into Brady uh, from his Patriot days. And, you know, Shefty breaking the news with Darlington. Now, it felt like it was happening immediately. And then I was also told Brady would never break this story on, you know, football weekend like that. And, and he did not. He doesn't want this to get out. Um, and, and that doesn't mean this story is not correct. It's just from what I was told by somebody who knows Tom you know, this will eventually happen. It's just not happening now. And it felt like Brady is going to have a press conference and you're thinking, okay, he's retiring. Maybe it's just semantics here. But, you know, his agent, Don Yee, said, no, this hasn't happened. His dad said, no, this hasn't happened. The Bucks said, no, not yet. Let's bring in Rick Stroud. He covers the Buccaneers for the Tampa Bay Times and a host of Sports Day Tampa Bay bod- uh, podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, where do we stand with this story? Well, I mean, if you talk to Jason Light, you talk to Bruce Arians, any of the coaches, uh, you know, they, they think that it hasn't happened yet. They think it's possible that he could retire. I mean, it, they were hurt by all this, you know, coming out the way it did. They sort of said the media jumped the gun a little bit. Eventually, Tom Brady called them, called Jason Light and told him he wasn't close to making a decision yet. But come on now they we just watched his whole career funeral over the weekend i don't know if you can come back from that one um <laughs> i keep watching you know highlights of tom brady so uh i'd like to announce my retirement on the dan patrick show as a guest if it's over it's, it's you know, this would be it i'll see you a year from now when they get the first overall pick you know um but no i you know i i expect it to happen but dan you know this too you know there are I mean, really, it started Friday night with Jason LaConfora and the report on CBS, and it kind of stayed out there for 20 hours, and we, we made our calls, and they were like, ah, nah, you know. And then everybody became Jason LaConfirma uh, at that point because, you know, we had to see if this was really happening. And, uh, you know, when you hear Adam Schefter go, according to my sources, I believe Tom Brady will, <laughs> you know, at that point, you're just like, okay, it, it's really happening now. So... I, I think we're going to see it happen, but I think it's going to be like a Gotham Chopra, uh, beautifully directed family in tow in Costa Rica planting trees. I, it's going to be something that's that's going to be Tom Brady-esque, right? I mean, this guy is like the Truman Show sometimes. I think it's going to happen after the Super Bowl. I was told uh, yesterday 
and and on Saturday that they Tom wants to control this. Like they want to do it in a way that you know Tom's social media has been unbelievable since he went to Tampa Bay. You know, you don't want to have it like spill out where you got the conference title games the next day. I mean, that's just not Brady's style. Do I think he's going to retire? I do. I just think it was more of the semantics of this that it's going to happen. It, it's just not happening in real time. Do you do you uh, buy into that timeline? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there is a week between, you know, uh, the Super Bowl. So it's possible with the news out, it could happen anytime really this week. Um, he might wait until afterwards. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be sooner than later. I mean, the, the Bucks aren't, you know, dying to know if the answer is I'm leaving, um, but they've got to move on too. But it's, you know, I, I just think that this is going to force his hand a little sooner than he wanted it to be. And, it, and it's, you know, you're right. He wants to control this. There's nobody going to tell him when or how he's going to do this. So he'll do it on his own time. But um, now that the news is out, you know, it's probably coming soon. But I don't know if you're giving Buccaneer fans false hope here. Like, is he? No. <laughs> no? No. Okay. I mean, he could be. Look, there's probably, I mean, why not cling to the fairy tale, right? I mean, look, these two years, were, I've said it's, it was like a meteor streaking across the sky. It got bright, and there was Super Bowls, and there was playoff games and all of that. And, you know, I wrote before the wild card game and I quoted Clyde Christensen saying, I, if I was a fan, I'd look at this as like, this might be the last time we see Tom Brady. Um, but no, I'm not giving him false hope. I mean, I, I, I trust the guy. Look, the way this works, <laughs> Dan, you know this in the media. I broke a story years ago about Bill Parcells having a deal with the Bucks before Tony Dungy coached his last game. Well, I won't say who it was. There's a guy that sat next to Bill Parcells at the mothership that knew this for weeks, but he couldn't report it because he was going to get the exclusive and somebody else reported it instead. Now what do you do if you know it's true? So, I mean, you know, I'm not alleging conspiracy here, but I mean, I think that I think that there's probably a, a, a better than average chance that somebody knew something uh, ahead of time. And once it was out there, it's like, well, not only is this out there, but it's true. So what do we do now, you know? And the media couldn't wait at that point. But is is there money attached to this decision by waiting? No. No, no money. There was mixed no, reports that, about that, that. Yeah, that came out. He's Listen, they, they did some things with the contract, and they deferred a signing bonus until February 4th, which is like this Friday, I think. And really, um, if he retires, he owes them a little bit more money than they owe him. I think it's like 16 million goes back and 15 million comes to him. So I don't expect there to be a change of money. I've checked with the Bucks. They would, you know, they would push that back as far as they wanted to. Uh, if he wants to check, if they want to forgive it, whatever. Um, but that is absolutely not, I know it was out there, but that's actually not a factor is why he's waiting. Um, that, that sort of made him look kind of petty and greedy. And that, that's just not, not true. What are the Bucs going to do at quarterback? Oh, man. Um, Jameis Winston, well, here you go. Come on. Hey, he's right down the road. Yeah, he's right down the road in Oldsmar. Um, I, you know, right now all they have is Kyle Trask under contract, and I suppose you could re-sign Blaine Gebert uh, if you wanted to, uh, and he could be the bridge quarterback. But, look, uh, Bruce Arians has said they will look behind door number two. That's how they found Tom Brady. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be standing there because the Green Bay Packers aren't trading him to an NFC team. Same with Russell Wilson. 
Um, you know, can you pry a, a Derek Carr? Do you, do, you, do you take a chance on a Deshaun? Well, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe Andrew Luck wants to come back at age 32, you know? I mean, they will look under every rock and, and, and bush they can, but the fact is that, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of options right now, and they'll have to pay quite a premium of draft picks if they're going to do it. This is not a free agent class that, that they can really tap into like they did with Tom. Byron Leftwich want the Jacksonville job? You know, I think he does, but I, I think he doesn't want it with Trent Valky. And I have not spoken to Byron. This is just my opinion. Um, you know, there were some reports about Adrian Wilson coming over from the Cardinals. Um, look, the last three or four teams Valky has, has been a part of, they fired their coach after one year. So, you know, I've talked to Byron before the season about coaching. He's he's definitely wants to be a head coach, but he has no timetable. He was an NFL quarterback, has plenty of money. He's going to pick the right situation for him. And I guess New Orleans has him as a candidate as well. It makes so much sense. That means the Jacksonville Jaguars will screw this up completely and not hire Byron Leftwich. Bruce Arians going to stay as head coach in Tampa? He's told me several times he is. I know everybody thinks that he would leave. Um, I, I guess anything's possible, but I asked him, you know, with or without Brady, and he said, no, he's absolutely coaching. And if he gets Todd Bulls and Byron back, he can have the same process. He's already said that if Brady came back and he were to lose uh, Byron left, which he would actually call plays again, which is news, right, and probably a signal to Tom Brady. But um, I, I do think he'll coach again at least next year. Rick, great to talk to you as always, and uh, we'll wait for some more drama down there. Do you think that Gronk is done in Tampa? As soon as he can get that USA assurance, yeah, insurance, <laughs> he, is, he is just waiting for that, and then he'll retire. I, I, I feel bad for Gronk. You know, he, he's trying know. to disguise his voice, and, you know, maybe he joins <laughs> the military, Rick. Maybe, then, then you could get that insurance. Exactly. No, I think he's, his future or, or lack thereof is probably tied to Tom's. He's, he's not played for another quarterback, and, um, you know, they'll miss him a lot, man. I'll miss him a lot, that's for sure. Thank you. I, we appreciate your time as always, Rick. Thank you. That's Rick Stroud. He covers the Buccaneers for the Tampa Bay Times, host of uh, Sports Day Tampa Bay. I think it's inevitable. I think it's semantics. And, you know, I, do I think somebody leaked this from the Buccaneers? It feels like that. But I was told yesterday uh, that th this did not come from Tom Brady's side, that they do want to have a big rollout. You don't want to have it kind of spill out on a Saturday afternoon. You know, you want to have a, a Wednesday press conference where you go, hey, family's going to be there. Everybody's going to be there. His dad's going to be there. And let the tributes begin. But I think that that's, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, Paul. So is all the vitriol against ESPN, Jeff Darlington, and Adam Schefter, uh, people might have to eat their words because they could be right just a week early or two weeks early, and I, which is their job, by the way. Not, their job isn't to help Tom Brady produce his retirement. Yeah, they did their job. And I, and I trust them and their sources, absolutely. I, it's just, you know, when Brady pushes back and his dad pushes back and his agent pushes back, then it feels like, well, wait a minute. I don't think Tom's playing anymore. I don't. Because I even reached out to a source who's friends with him, and I said, is this officially official? And, uh, you know, the person that I was texting with said, sent me um, – a screen cap of Don Yee, his agents, you know, kind of rebuttal uh, denial of this. And it just doesn't feel like, hey, Tom hasn't made up his mind about, you know, not playing or, you know, he's he's 
indications are he's going to play. There's none of that. I, I just think he wants to be able to control it. And, and I don't think Tom would ever want to take away from those games this weekend. I truly don't. But, you know, the Shefty and Darlington, that's not their job. Like, they, they, they're not waiting until the right time. It's, hey, we got this information. Let's go with it. And do I think they're correct? I do. A couple of phone calls in here. Uh, Nate in Cincinnati leads us off. Nate, congratulations. Thanks, man. Feels good. It's an electric factory here, DP. What, what do you got for me? I got three mock headlines for you for oh, the uh, okay. for the Bengals win over the Chiefs. Uh oh, mock headlines, Todd. Yeah. Here we go, Nate. Yep. Here, Here we, we go. go. First one. Uzama said, "Knock you out." <laughs> Bengals beat down Chiefs. All right. How about Oh Crapple? Eli and Bengals D shut down Mahomes. <laughs> And then I got to throw one to my boy. I actually went to high school with this guy. He's a Cincinnati guy. He deserves it more than anybody. But uh, order the Huber XL. Bengals send Chiefs home from flat playoffs. Okay. All right. Some some deep cuts there with your mock headlines. Thank you, Nate. Uh, Todd didn't do mock headlines, but Todd did do a limerick. I sure did. And here we go. Todd Fritz's limerick. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. The Bengals did what in Kansas City? Mahomes gets knocked out while Stafford shows clout all in Rams versus who day. That's pretty. Okay. All right. That's serviceable. <laughs> wow. It is. That sounds like a B minus. Um, not even C that. Plus? I'd say C plus. C plus. C plus. Yeah, Paul. No mock headlines. Uh, how often are the Bengals in the Super Bowl? It seems like it's a pretty rare event. Uh, by the way, we do have the Joe Ohio t-shirts <laughs> that uh, sold a lot of those. But you can go to the website, Joe Ohio. I love that one. It looks great too. Yeah, Paul. I do have another poll question. Oh, who is having Ooh. a better month? Who had the better month, Joe Burrow or the field? <laughs> and the field means everyone else on earth. It, oh, can you think of another human being who had a better month than Joe Burrow of the Bengals? I thought about it on the drive-in. The end of the season played great. Played even better in the playoffs. The month he's still got a day to go. I think there's 12 hours left in the in the month. Matthew Stafford, better than Burrow. No. Well, Stafford's in the conversation. I would think so. But the field includes like 11 billion people or something. Mm. Everybody on earth. Yeah. I, you know, Elon Musk probably had a good weekend. You know, he probably made a couple of billion dollars. I don't know. Done that before. Yeah, that's but, true. But Bengals in the Super Bowl are getting a billion. There's a lot of billionaires. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> when Joe Burrow showed up in Kansas City and he had, like, he had a look to him. And like if you said, hey, uh, that's a boy band. That's the, he's the lead singer of a boy band. You would have gone, oh, okay, what's the name of the band? Bengals. Oh, that's a, a BTS. Had the shades on. Like he brought, he, he just walks in with swag, man. Woo. Good stuff. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Uh, let's bring in Marcus Spears, the ESPN NFL analyst, contributor to Get Up, NFL Live, Sports Center. And it uh, was a big hit last time he was on the show. Uh, Marcus, thanks for joining us. I'm curious that it feels like 
we can blame Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if we're giving the Bengals enough credit for what they did in the second half to him defensively. So where do you start? Yeah, I'm starting with the Bengals, man. Like, I'm starting with the team that won because they they earned it. And and it was, to me, one of the better adjustments second half defensively that I've seen in a long time. And what they did was, because when you're playing against that type of talent, you have to sacrifice something. Or you got to find like a middle ground to say, hey, our percentages will give us more of an opportunity to get off the field on third down or more opportunities to put the ball back in Joe Burrow's hands. And when they went to that three-man rush and using a D lineman to spy, like they did with Hubbard, when they start rushing, and you know I get hyped, DP, because this D line talk I'm talking about now, (laughs) I get hyped when I start talking about this. But those guys were like, and I, I, I make this analogy all the time on NFL Live, those guys up front were like a basketball team where when you pressing, we are running, we are trying to run you into a trap. We are trying to run you into a forced trap to either make you call timeout, to make you turn the foot, turn the ball over or make a bad pass. And that's exactly what they did earlier in that game. First half as a D line coach, I'm looking at everything unfold and I'm thinking to myself, I just watched Patrick Mahomes a week ago rush for 70 yards against the Buffalo Bills because they were undisciplined in their pass rush. But I also saw the Buffalo Bills rushing four and not having enough guys in coverage with Pat having enough time to take advantage of that. So what the Bengals did was they said, look, we're going to turn our defensive line into a basketball team and we are going to press but we also are not going to give up the deep ball over the top. And the guts that you have to have to say that I'm going to give Patrick Mahomes two to three more seconds to survey, but this is our best path path forward. And to see those D linemen executed at that level, this game was about Hendrickson, Hubbard, Reeder. This game was about those guys up front saying we are going to sacrifice numbers. We are going to sacrifice trying to get sacks or make splash splash plays, and we're going to contain Patrick Mahomes, and these eight guys in coverage got to handle their responsibility on the back end to make him hold it long enough for us to eventually get some pressure on Second half, three of eight, 15 yards, an interception, sack four times. This is a three-man rush. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> DP, I'm telling you, dude, I would, I would, what you expect, what I expected from Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid is what I got from the Cincinnati Bengals coaching staff. Their adjustments, KC abandoned the run. I know. And against what they were doing in Cincinnati, you got to run the football. You have, and we've been screaming this, DP, you have to run them out of that defense. You got to run it out of them. You got to screen it. You got to get quick passes to the outside edges and allow your playmakers to make plays. They consistently drop back and try to go downfield. Let's let Pat survey. Dude, it's eight people back there. Let's hand the football off. Let's make them adjust. And the reason why the Kansas City Chiefs even ended up in that position is because they decided 
at, at, at a large part of this season that we're going to get McKinnon involved. We're going to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire involved. We're going to get Williams involved. We're going to throw quick, quick dump passes to Miko Hartman. We're going to get the ball in Tyreek hands quickly. And in this game, for some reason, watching the Cincinnati Bengals play you in order for you to throw underneath, they did not do it. And they did not run the football, and it played right into what Cincinnati wanted to do defensively. And also, and I don't know if it's fair to, to say it, but I thought it in real time that Ego was playing into the Kansas City Chiefs play calling at the end of the first half. Kick the damn field goal. You know, you get the ball to start the second half. You don't, you know, you don't yeah. have to, you don't have no timeouts. Kick the field goal, but it just felt like what I what what I think is, and to your point, yes, kick the field goal. I, I screamed that to Brandon Staley all season long with the Chargers. They'd have been in the playoffs if he just kicked the damn field goals or punt the ball. But I think what happens, man, in those moments, you've seen Patrick Mahomes make those plays so much that you become drunk to it. And that is another part of me saying, because here, here's what I have to imagine Andy Reid was thinking, all right? I'm going to trust my quarterback, because we see Lamar do it with John Harbaugh all the time. I'm going to trust my quarterback, and eat with five seconds on the clock, if nothing's there, he's going to do what he did the previous play and throw the ball in the ground. We're going to have a second or two left, and we can kick the field goal. Patrick Mahomes was the issue on that play. And I get what you're saying, DP, 100% understand it. But for Mahomes to not know that situation and not understand, and, and the, the perplexing thing is he did it the play before. He killed the play. He threw it into the ground, and then he threw a swing pass. Now, I got because there's so many sides to this. All right, what Patrick Mahomes is thinking also is, I got the fastest man on on any football team in the NFL in the flats. He's going to make a guy miss and get in the end zone. Like, let's give Eli Apple a tremendous amount of credit for coming up and making that play. And football is always like that hindsight, right? Like, don't throw it to the don't throw it to the to the outside to Tyreek Hill. But how many times would we say that? Tyreek Hill matched up man-to-man. We can get the ball in his hands quickly, and let's see if he can make a guy miss. Because most of the time, majority of the time, that's what happens. And I think that's what Andy Reid was thinking, and I think that's what Pat was thinking on that particular throw. But he should have deaded that ball, DP, and just kicked the field goal. He's Marcus Spears, former NFL lineman. He'll be on NFL Live today the entire week at 4 Eastern. And uh, you can see that crew. They'll be at uh, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl coverage on the mothership as well. All right, let's turn our attention to the Rams and Niners. It was 10-7. And if, if I, I couldn't believe the Niners were leading. It just yeah. felt like the Rams made it look easy first drive. And I'm just, I'm, I was trying to figure that game out. It felt like it was a, a heavyweight boxing match where styles make a, ma- you know, a, a, a boxing match. But I didn't know if either could deliver the knockout blow. What was the big difference between, you know, the Rams winning or the Niners losing? Look no further, DP, and it's going to be boring because we love talking about Stafford and the offense. The San Francisco 49ers had 50 total yards rushing. Mm -hmm. They don't win like that. Debo Samuel had seven rushes for 40-something yards. Elijah Mitchell had 11 rushes for 40-something yards. 
or I, not even 40, like 38 or something like that. I just looked at it. And that is not conducive. DP, what I've been saying, bro, and, and this is this is where Jimmy Garoppolo comes into the fold, right? Because we always, we go back and forth. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a solid to good NFL quarterback. I do. I firmly believe that. But if I'm a defensive guy, if I'm Raheem Morris, I want Jimmy Garoppolo to win the game. That's how I want to live with the San Francisco 49ers. And let's go through a couple sequences of events, right? You, you miss Kittle over the middle, which potentially could have been, if not a touchdown, you get three points out of that, right? That was a huge – you miss, I think, Brandon Ayuk backside, and Jalen Ramsey drops the interception. You – there's all – there. I'm, I'm going I'm, – I got both games in my head. DP, this is my sheet. This is my sheet from the game breakdowns. I'm breaking, <laughs> I'm breaking the games down. But but I think there was another, another potential for interception as well. But what the Rams did from a defensive standpoint was they got this game in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. And what the Rams were thinking is, I got Aaron Donald, I got Von Miller, I got Leonard Floyd, Greg Gaines, who's been playing phenomenal, by the way, doesn't get a lot of credit, big defensive tackle, um, and Ashawn Robinson has been playing well. Those two guys, particularly Ashawn Robinson and Greg Gaines, helped with the run. They did a phenomenal job defending the run. But DP, this is why you have closers. This is why you go get Von Miller. This is why you go get an Evan from if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. This is why you sign a Trey Hendrickson in the offseason if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Because playoff games comes down to this. Do you have the quarterback that's going to make the play? Or do you have the closers? Think about when Peyton won his Super Bowl in Denver. It was DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller. Those were the, those were the closers. So the Rams got this game in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands late in the game, and they got the best closers in the NFL, or one of the best, if not the best ever, in Aaron Donald. And I'm not just talking about that particular play. I'm talking about a sequence of events that leads up to this game being in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. See, Sean McVay felt comfortable with his quarterback and the game being in his hands late in the game. Kyle Shanahan coaches around that. He tries to coach around that. But when Debo Samuel doesn't have those big 20 and 30-yard impact plays, he had the one screen that he took to the crib. And other than that, that was it. And then Shanahan didn't get the ball in Debo's hands late in the game either. There's a lot of blame to go around, DP. But if you want to break this game down in a nutshell like you just asked me, I said a lot to say this. They gave up 50 yards of rushing, and they made Jimmy Garoppolo beat them. And he couldn't do it. Now, Jimmy, in week 17 in the in the regular season, he made all of the throws in the second half to get that team the lead, to get San Francisco the lead. And even still, with that evidence that Raheem Morris had, he still said, let's get this game in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. And we feel good about our chances. Uh. Why are the Rams only three-and-a-half-point favorites over the Bengals at home in the Super Bowl? Because Joe Burrow is that dude, bro. <laughs> like, we, the, 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 there's no more obviously denying it, but I think when you look at, like, Cincinnati, even through this run, 
we are still trying to wrap our head around your offensive line not being elite and you about to play in the Super Bowl. But it speaks to the talent, DP, and that's what it is. It's the talent, man. It's Jamar Chase. When Jamar Chase is being doubled, it's T. Higgins going off for 100 yards. It's Tyler Boyd making plays. When you need runs, it's Joe Mixon. And I'm going to get an offensive line some credit in that. They, they, they created paths in order to make – I don't think because Cincinnati won and we get blinded, that last drive to get a, super, a, a field goal was elite. That is what we expect from the teams that we've grown accustomed to making those type of drives. In that game, after Patrick Mahomes turnover in overtime, the Cincinnati Bengals went to a physical run game, and they said, Joe Burrow, you got to lead the way with a few throws. All right? And we looked at this team two weeks ago. Gets their quarterback got sacked nine times, DP, and they won the freaking game, man. So ultimately, what is happening now? The Cincinnati Bengals, or people are starting to realize that that dude that wears number nine, he can overcome a lot of deficiencies that they have as a football team. And then we have to pick our poison offensively because if we do double Jamar Chase. We got they got some other guys that can make you pay in some one on one situations, and when you found the one on one with Chase late in the game, it was a touchdown. So I, I understand it now. I think this is the toughest matchup for him, based on what I just said about Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and all of those guys. I think this is the toughest matchup. I think if, if I think if Aaron Donald has Joe Burrow in his grasp like Chris Jones did and he misses that first tackle, Aaron Donald can run Joe Burrow down and make the second play as far as trying to clip his legs from under him. Those are the game-changing type plays, DP, because like we, we never imagine a blowout in the Super Bowl. We never imagine that a team is going to come out um, like Seattle did Denver, and, and that the game just goes like that, and you're like, dang, man, that was, that was very anticlimactic, you know, when we start thinking about it. But – since he just got something. And, and to your point, what you asked me earlier, that defense, hey, man, like if Eli Apple is not getting exploited in, in certain situations in coverage and Awuzie is not getting taken advantage of and they can protect those guys a little bit because I think Bates and Bell on the back end, as good a safety combo as you can get in the league outside of Poirier and Hyde in Buffalo. That defense up front, though, with Hendrickson, the way Reader has been playing the run, Hubbard, and what they're able to adjust and morph into, they are big too, DP. They're physical defensive line. Think about this too. The Cincinnati Bengals don't have those 240-pound defensive ends. They don't. They got those big physical guys that can stay on the field one through three downs, and they are elite enough to rush the passer. So this, this, this is a good football team outside of what we've seen from that offensive line at times. And look, man, like, you know, I'm a Louisiana guy. I'm an LSU guy. Mm -hmm. You can believe it if you want to, but nine just has it. Uh, he just has that special gene that, that in those moments, I bet you DP in those damn moments with Joe Burrow, we could check his blood pressure and it, or his heart rate. It'll be at a resting pace. Two years, man. Yeah. Could you bench 
Orlovsky, Mina Kimes, and Laura Rutledge, all three at the same time? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Okay. I think all three of them together may be 340. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't throw Keyshawn in there. You throw Keyshawn in there, I can't get him up. <laughs> nah. I can't nah. put Damian Woody in there either. I can't do that either. Maybe by itself, but not, not, with, <laughs> not with others. Not with others, man. Yeah. Thank you, bud. Have a great week, and uh, thanks again for joining us. As always, man, I, I look forward to talking to you again. That's Marcus Spears, ESPN NFL analyst, and uh, he'll be on NFL Live Monday through Friday at 4 Eastern. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Former Raider quarterback, Cardinal quarterback, Bengal quarterback, Carson Palmer, joining us on the program. Who were you rooting for between Kansas City and the Cincinnati Bengals, Carson? Uh, I was rooting for the Bengals. I, uh, no, no fan base deserves this Super Bowl berth more than the Cincy Bengals. What were you thinking when it was 21 to three? I thought there was a shot. Um, things just, things really just obviously went sideways for Kansas city. They went from on offense. Patrick Mahomes took over the first half by just really taking what the defense was giving him. And then in the second half, he was, it was weird. He, he threw that one touchdown to Tyreek Hill in the back of the end zone in the red zone where he was kind of running around and moving in the pocket and then rolled out to the right. And he loves those kinds of plays, you can tell. And he kept looking for that in the second half. And what got them to that big lead in the first half was just taking what the defense was giving them. And he absolutely stopped doing that. He started dropping back in the second half, moving in the pocket, spinning out, rolling left, rolling right. And it just wasn't working because the Bengals' defense just sat back in cover two and cover four and played zone and watched everything underneath them and didn't give them any of those big shots down the field. I just don't know why they didn't run the ball. If you're going against a three-man front, you can get to that second level, and if you set up screen passes, whatever it was, it just felt like maybe ego got the better of them, but it felt like they were trying to do something great instead of just being methodical. Well, and, and that's what got them there. McKinnon was unbelievable the last three weeks. I mean, that, he has been so difficult to tackle. He's been so dynamic in the screen game, but really running the ball downhill with the absence of Edwards Hilaire with the ankle injury, McKinnon came in and was unbelievable. He, nobody was tackling him in the first tackle. He was breaking tackles. He was explosive. And then they just stopped giving him the ball, unfortunately. But would you rather face, you know, pressure or eight guys in the secondary in a three-man rush as a quarterback? Pressure all day. I think every quarterback is more comfortable when – you know you've got one-on-ones outside. It gets really difficult when they do those three-man those three-man blitzes 
with a three defensive lineman. Now you've got eight guys dropping in coverage, more often not covering three and sometimes four guys. So uh, pressure is always a quarterback. Quarterbacks are always looking for pressure. Joe Burrow does such a good job of diagnosing it, and that's why they're where they are. They are not beating people because their offensive line is better. They are not dominating the line of scrimmage. Joe is abs- absolutely dominating the line of scrimmage. He's redirecting pressures. He, he had him in a situation uh, last night where they were bringing a will free safety blitz, a blitz that could not be picked up. He redirected the offensive line in Arrowhead Stadium, which, mm. believe me, is not easy to do. And he is winning. He, he is beating teams himself at the line of scrimmage. And I know there's a lot of guys around him, and I'm not saying it's all on him, but he has absolutely taken that team and put them on his shoulders and got him to the Super Bowl. And this doesn't happen to a second-year quarterback. You just don't see this. I mean, you see second-year quarterbacks. You think back when, when I was a young QB in the league and Ben Roethlisberger came on the scene and won a ton of games you know, as, as, as a rookie, but they won those games because that was the number one defense in the league. He had Jerome Bettis. He had Antoine Randall. He had Plaxico Burris and you can go on and on two hall of famers at, at offensive line. Joe's not doing that with the same supporting cast. He is doing it like a 12, 13, 14 year vet in year two. I mentioned this, you know, being from the Cincinnati area, I just didn't want the Bengals to be embarrassed because everybody would say, Oh, you're from Cincinnati. Oh, the bungles. And you, you know this because you played there, but when it was 21-3, that's, if you would have said, hey, they're going to lose in dramatic fashion, heartbreaking fashion, and I, I would have I signed up for that. I just didn't want them embarrassed because this has been a really great story. And they found their guy, and they got their wide receiver, and you got a young coach, and you got a, a good running back. Uh, defense, to me, won that game with you know what they did to Patrick Mahomes. So... Uh, it's it, they might be the team people are rooting for in the Super Bowl. If you don't have a, you know, a, if you're not based with the Rams, you're probably rooting for the Bengals. Yeah, who doesn't love the underdog? Who who doesn't want the second year quarterback, the hometown kid from Ohio, to win a Super Bowl for the Bengals? I mean, they're going to be the ones that everybody follows. LA's, you know, they transfer, you know, moving from St. Louis into LA. Um, there's some fans that are split in LA with the chargers and the old Raiders back in the day when the Raiders were in LA, all of Ohio, uh, outside Northeastern Ohio, <laughs> where, where Cleveland is, is behind the Bengals. And I think the Midwest is too, even, um, there, there was even a bunch of fans in Kansas city at Arrowhead. It was great to see the following. Uh, I can't wait to be in LA next week and, and see all the Bengals fans there celebrating and enjoying the week. We're talking to Carson Palmer, joining us on behalf of our good friends at LevelSelectCBD.com. How would you assess the quarterbacking play in the NFC title game? Well, I think everybody understands why the Rams got Matthew Stafford. But everybody really quickly forgets how well Jared Goff played in 2018 in the NFC Championship in New Orleans and beat the Drew Brees Saints when they were rocking and rolling and great on defense. Now Stafford has to prove that he's worth his weight uh, for those two first-round picks, and I think a second or third in there too, by winning the Super Bowl. I mean, this this is such a big game for Matt. This is a, a career-making game. Again, I mean, p- people people dumped on Goff really quickly, um, but Goff had a lot of success up until that Super Bowl game. Goff played phenomenally in that NFC Championship in New Orleans and got that team there. The same thing Stafford just did by getting the. Uh, the Rams into his first Super Bowl in L.A. If he can win this Super Bowl, he proves everybody right in the building for the Rams from Snead down to McVay uh, to the owner, Stan Kroenke, that this was the right decision to be made. 
On the other end of things in, in San Francisco, um, we got exactly what we probably all assumed was going to happen. You know, the game was put on the line. When, when, when you have that ball in your hands and you have a chance to win at the end of the game and you're Jimmy Garoppolo in that situation, you no longer have the advantage you had most of the game, which was Kyle Shanahan calling the plays. The scripted plays, the, the plays that Kyle can call in from a headset. You get in a two-minute situation like that, it's on you as a quarterback. And I think we all saw what we've what we expected to see. We saw it a couple of years ago where Jimmy just didn't get it done. And that's probably why we're going to see him in a different uniform next year and, and see Trey Lance being the starting quarterback for the Niners next year. I just didn't understand it. If if I'm the Niners, I know the Rams want the game in the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands at the end of the game. That's what they're kind of preparing for. Why not run the ball more? Why not I, I just I just didn't understand that. The Chiefs not doing it. And the Niners, the Rams run the football. I mean, they, that big offensive line, I, I just thought, I got to take the ball out of his hands. I, I can't have the game on the line with him trying to win it for me. Yeah, I mean, we all wanted to see that. At the end of the day, you got two offensive-minded head coaches that are both calling those plays. Mm-hmm. And offensive-minded head coaches got there by throwing it. They didn't get there by running it. That's just a natural, we got to get a big chunk. We can't run it for eight. We need to throw it for 25 and then another 20 and then another 20. And no doubt, I mean, it's it is, uh, it's an ego thing. Um, I'm sure the Monday morning quarterback and, and all those coaches is going back and going, man, I should have run it on first and 10 here. I should have run it on second and long here. But, I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, you're right. The ball was in Jimmy's hands, and that's not the situation you want to be in if you're the 49ers. That team got there by defense and running the football. And when it came down to getting to the Super Bowl, they had to throw it, and that is not their forte. I know, but I go back to the Super Bowl, Carson, when they should have run the ball. They could have – I, I just don't understand that mindset. You know, even when, you know, Shanahan was with the Falcons, they th- were throwing the ball. They didn't need to throw the ball. You were in field goal range. Like, these are, these are costly, costly moments for Shanahan. You know, he's blown double-digit leads in a Super Bowl as a, you know, offensive coordinator, as a head coach uh, with last night. Um, you know, that's inexcusable for a guy who's that, that, that sharp. And, and you assume that you learn from your past mistakes yeah. and move forward. And unfortunately, like, like I said, I mean, you, you got Andy Reid, one of the greatest offensive play callers, pass game innovators. Kyle Shanahan one of the greatest young offensive coordinators and he's great in the run game and he's great in the pass game. And you naturally, as a, as a coach that's calling plays, you naturally feel like we need more yards than we can get in the run game. It's just not easy to do when you're in that position, obviously. Man. And I couldn't help but watch when Odell Beckham had whatever, nine catches, eight catches last night. Why didn't somebody else swoop in like uh green bay uh, like what what am i missing with odell beckham even the browns i know there's ego involved in this but it just you can't help but watch that and go even though he's had surgeries and he's stepped slower or quicker man it, he's still a game breaker he's an impactful player it's outside noise it's outside noise it's that media labeling him as a prima donna not a team guy uh, all the headlines we, you know, when, when times were bad for Odell, Be- Odell Beckham, you heard, you know, all he cares about is his catches. He doesn't want to win. All these teams, except for the Rams, listened to the outside noise. The Rams said, you know what? We need to get him in the building. We've got vets. We've got Aaron Donald, one of the best players on defense. We've got a young Sean McVay that any receiver would love to listen to. A vet quarterback in Stafford, Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, who's like 60. 
They have so <laughs> much leadership. They have so much, so many veterans in the room. They said, even if he is, even if all these articles are right and he's a prima donna and he cares about himself and doesn't care about the team, we've got enough guys to bring him together. Maybe it is that, or maybe all these articles are wrong about OBJ and he just wants to win, but the Rams figured it out. Would you rather have Joe Burrow or Matthew Stafford for this one game? Joe Burrow. Would you rather have Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase for this one game? I'd rather have Cooper Cup because he's been there before. It's still amazing to watch. Like, I'm still amazed these defenses somehow forget that Cooper Cup won the triple crown of wide receivers. Why is that? Well, it's funny, too, because you watched that first game in, in the Cincy, uh, the game in Arrowhead with the Chiefs. Jamar, the, the time, they played just like a month or, uh, you know, six weeks before that in Cincy, and obviously the Bengals won. Jamar went for a quarter thousand yards. And <laughs> this, I mean, think about that. He went for 266 yards in one game. They figured out they needed to shut him down, but every it was amazing. And what was so mature about Joe Burrow's play is every time they didn't double him, which was very rarely, and he was one-on-one, Joe got on the ball. Yeah. There was very few instances where Jamar was one-on-one and Joe figured it out, diagnosed the defense, found his one-on-one and his best player and gave them the ball. And, you know, he didn't have 266 yards, but he still greatly affected that game. And they did a ton of stuff. I mean, Zach's scheme with him in the backfield and motioning in and out of different spots, he was so difficult to figure out where Jamar was going to land and end up. But the Chiefs did a really good job of finding out where that was going to be and doubled him. But the very few times where he was not doubled, he got the ball in his hands and Joe figured it out. But I mentioned Cooper Cup. I mean, it felt like the Niners forgot that he is was an MVP candidate and, and you know did all of these things the regular season. Yeah, and, and again, you, I can point the finger, and, and it's great. It was great by Stafford. It was great by Cup. But that's a Sean McVay, Kevin O'Connell finding a way. He, he was all over the place. Cooper Cup was on the outside. He was on the inside. He was motioning. He was shifting. You don't – when when you have a guy that's as smart as some of these receivers we're seeing in Jamar and Cooper Cup – they don't just have to line up at X on the left-hand side of the field anymore. They are so smart. They can motion them. They can shift them. They can put them inside. They can put them on a three-by-one side. You just don't know where he's going to be. And it, as easy as to say, is don't let Cooper Cup get the ball. He's all <laughs> over the place. You don't know where he's going to line up. It's so difficult to do. And, and again, Stafford, a, a lot like Joe Burrow, when he was in those situations, when he was one-on-one, he got him the ball. Are you going to be in L.A. next week? I will. I'll see you next week. Maybe we could go to USC and walk around and uh, just make, throw, throw the fight on. <laughs> just walk around campus. Well, maybe we could, uh, you know, throw the football around or something like that. Let's do it. Would you dress like a Trojan? Like a Trojan? I, I've got a Trojan uh, Halloween outfit. Can I bring that for you? Yes. All right. I'll throw you. We'll go to the Coliseum. We'll throw some rounds. <laughs> we could. We could dress like a pack of Trojans. How's that? No, I don't want to dress up. Just you. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in L.A. next week. Sounds great. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. Man. That's Carson Palmer. His weekly appearance during the NFL season brought to you by our partner, Level Select CBD. Looking for next level relief? Visit LevelSelectCBD.com. I don't think he got the joke of pack of condoms. Or Trojans, my bad. <laughs> now he's now he's got the joke. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> this uh, local high school, South Side of Chicago, was uh, out to Marion Catholic, but the local school – Public school is Bloom High School, and they were the Bloom Trojans. And every once in a while, the PA announcer goes, 
you know, tackled by a host of Trojans. And like, every once in a while, I go, tackled by a pack of Trojans. And all of us little 15-year-olds giggling, giggling in the stands. He's going to get in trouble. Giggle, giggle, giggle. <laughs>